Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. So for today's podcast, uh, we've got a really interesting episode. I know I always say that, but actually genuinely, I think uh, today's will be uh, fascinating. It's in a a subject area that's really close to my heart and something that um, I'm going to really enjoy talking about. I'm joined today by Nabil Shirazi, who is the global CTO of a really interesting business called ePropelled. So welcome to the show, Nabil. It's great to have you here. Yeah, good morning. Thank you for having me on the show. And uh, if we could just get started by learning a little bit more about you and, um, you know, if you could tell us about your background and, uh, and how you came to be doing what you're doing now. So, you know, as a child, I've always loved science and I've been playing with different instruments uh, to get me into sort of that mode. So I started my first degree in electrical and electronic engineering because These electronic chips always interested me, and I used to open old radios uh, and other electronic gadgets to see what's inside them. So that fascinated me and put me on the track to do this course. Um, When I completed my um, electrical and electronic engineering, um, I was fascinated by magnets, permanent magnets. Okay. (laughs) I thought, yeah, so I thought, why not do a master's in magnetic engineering? So I, I applied to various universities and uh, got a place at Cardiff University um, where they were running a course in electromagnetic engineering. So I started this course. It was one year's magnetics course, uh, and I won the uh, prize for the best project in the department. So I thought, oh, I'm doing really well in this. Um, and the magnetism is, is so important because it's all around us. You know, even the earth has got magnetic field. So that grew my interest further into magnetics. And I thought perhaps I should do a PhD, uh, in magnetic engineering. So that led me to do, um, uh, um, four years PhD in magnetic engineering where we were looking at electrical steel of electric machines. So this, um, this master's course, uh, it sounds quite, because quite, you know, quite often you sort of focused on um, electrical machine design, but it sounds like it was a bit of a broader, broader church than that. What, what kind of things were you looking at? Yeah, so uh, during the master's course, we were looking at the material science of actually um, electrical steel, we were also working on high voltage um, programs as well, which was being run at Cardiff University. So it was high voltage, it was material science, um, what is making you know the materials and how to improve the efficiency of materials. So that was that was happening during the master's course. Um, and we were also looking at um, you know materials which actually produce uh, high, Plus density. 
So all, all that sort of, you know, got my interest uh, deep into uh, material science and, and led to a PhD. Ah, cool. And, and I guess, um, so you mentioned high voltage there, but I'm guessing that's proper high voltage, not, uh, not what us EV people talk about as high voltage. Yeah, yeah, that, that's pro- proper high voltage, which you see in lightning. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. The Cardiff University is famous for, for doing that kind of work. Even today, they have that department, and uh, we are actually working with them to um, see what you know the effects of lightning strikes are, etc. Mm, they've got a very good uh, high high voltage lab there. So, cool. And uh, and so you you did your PhD. So so during my PhD, so my PhD was sponsored by European Electrical Steel. Um, in Newport. So they had an orbs work where they've been working on electrical steel and they, they supported my, you know, PhD. Um, and during that time, you know, I, I was playing with a lot of magnetic instruments and came up with the idea of magnetic levitation during that period as well. You know, how to create magnetic levitation. Uh, and that became really uh, an attraction for the university. Um, and in fact, um, you know, I even entered the um, uh, competition in U.S. Um, in, in Pittsburgh. It's it's a trade show. It's a uh, inv- invention show, and and I won the first prize in USA, which then led to several articles being published in magazines, and and then you know the interest grew of other people trying to contact and to see what is uh, you know material science about how we are looking at materials, how we are improving materials, uh, not only in electric machines, but uh, other, other uh, you know. Other applications, yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, I think people, well, it's easy to forget, isn't it? You know, you, you mentioned some magnetic fields being all around us. See, Earth has a magnetic field, but we, we're using the principles of um, electromagnetics in electric motors and, you know, we talk about motors a lot and we will talk about motors some more today, but also in all kinds of other um, applications. So like the, you know, the electrical grid depends on transformers and that's a, a really key electromagnetic um, system. So it's um, it's such a huge part of our everyday lives, the re- relying on uh, electromagnetic systems and, uh, and technology. So big area. Yeah, it, it's a huge area, and and for that reason, you know, I, I thought perhaps I can make a career out of it. And uh, while doing my PhD, I started a company, Electronica Products, um, you know, uh, where we could look at uh, electric machine design and also power electronics at the same time. When did you start Electronica Products then? Well, Electronica products actually started in December 1998, so that's a long time ago. Uh, but I was still working, you know, um, at the university and decided to do some cons- consultancy work. And that came about because a lot of articles were published on the magnetic levitation system. So an aerospace company approached me and said, oh, they've got an issue with, with one of the motors um, and can we improve the air gap inside this electric machine because they've seen the magnetic levitation system have a large air gap. And that led to you know consultancy programs with aerospace company uh, and, and you know then uh, Electronica got a foothold in designing electric machines, 
and then let do several other programs, uh, which was great. And, and working for the aerospace companies, initially they didn't believe that I could come up with the answers because it was like, you know, I was myself. Uh, whereas they said they've got 45 engineers working on this right now. That was a great challenge. So they gave me an opportunity. Um, you know, I had formed a team by then of three or four people. And, and we said, give us the challenge. They gave us the challenge and we actually came up with the answers. Initially, they thought the design wouldn't work when we presented, um, you know, on, on the computer simulations. But they further gave us the opportunity to make the prototype. And their chief engineer was here in Cardiff uh, when we were doing the testing. And he was amazed that actually it did work. So it was brilliant. And, and because of that, they came on the bidding list of the A380 Airbus at, at the time. So, so that, that was a great pro project and a great success for us at, at the time. Fantastic. And then, um, so turning the clock forwards a bit, how did you um, start to, you know, work with ePropelled? At, at the time, then we started working on different uh, electric motor machine programs. And, and in 2000, actually in 2003, came up with uh, an invention um, called magnetic gearing at the time, where we were you know, working on a technology which would improve the performance of electric machines. So that plus other programs uh, of uh, electric propulsion system, um, you know, then you fast forward to 2018 where I met Nick Gruel uh, and he was, you know, really keen in working in the field of electric motors, efficient electric motors. So we had a great chat and um, decided that perhaps we should merge together. Uh, and um, he formed ePropelled, and, and we joined forces, and we said, okay, let's work together uh, and improve the electric propulsion system, which the world needs, you know, because electric machines are moving very fast. The whole world is going electric. Everyone wants an electric motor. So we thought this, this, this is the right time for us to... Uh, propel in, in in this field cool and because uh, you're obviously you're still based in the uk um and nick is in the us is that right that's right i mean nick is originally from the uk but yeah he's he's spent the the, the last 40 years in in us so he's you can say he's based in usa yeah and and me in UK. but we have got great synergy we work together well um and it's you know it's it's great to to form this partnership where we think we can change the world. And that kind of leads us neatly into uh, talking about ePropelled. So, so what is it that you're doing at ePropelled now? Tell us about your, your technology and, uh, and a bit more about the business. So ePropelled is about all about electric propulsion systems. And ePropelled is designing intelligent motors, motor controllers, generators, power management systems. And the goal is to help technology reduce the power consumption, energy consumption, and reduce carbon emissions, and increase the efficiency of, of the system at the same time. So we believe that we are leaders in magnetic engineering, and, and we really uh, want to make um, aware to, to the world that 
it's it's not about just design, but it's about material science, how you produce materials, how you, um, you know, improve the reduction of carbon emissions right from uh, mining the raw materials. E-Propelled is also about find, filing patents. We've, we've got over 40 patents. We've got now over 40 engineers, professionally qualified engineers as well. And, and we believe that we are the future of electric propulsion. Are the patents in, you know, is it one sort of particularly strong kind of um, technological advancement that you guys have made in uh, e-machine design? So one of the technological advances we, we've got is called EDTS, which is Efficient Dynamic Torque Switching. And what this does is it reconfigures the windings inside an electric machine. So it works like a gearbox um, where it trans, you know, uh, changes the torque of, of the machine as it speeds up. So the advantage is that you can operate the electric machine at different efficiency zones, right? So if you reconfigure the windings, it gives you an increased efficiency band in the speed torque range, which means that throughout the drive cycle of an electric motor or electric vehicle, the efficiency is greatly increased, which means that you increase the driving range by at least 15%. When you say reconfigure the windings, I mean, then, you know, trying to, in my head, envisage an electric motor is quite a fixed thing with, where, you know, how, how do you reconfigure the windings on a machine dynamically? Right. So what we do is the wires are wound in parallel and they come out into a switch matrix. So this all happens when, within the casing of the electric machine itself. Windings to a switch matrix and those that switch matrix, whether it be a mechanical switch matrix or a semiconductor switch matrix, you know, you can reconfigure the windings by changing between series, parallel or its combination of windings. So literally, you are changing the number of turns inside the electric machine while the machine is running. So you kind of, where you might normally have like a shorting ring connecting all the windings together in a in a normal machine, you've replaced that with a um, electronic circuit, basically, where you can sort of switch around how the uh, the windings are connected together. Exactly, exactly. That's what we do, and. The, the performance increases phenomenal. And not only that, it reduces the size of the electric machine as well. So we are talking to several OEMs right now who are very interested in this technology, and we are uh, doing simulations to show the full benefits. So it's not just increasing the driving range, it's increasing the efficiency, overall efficiency of the, of the powertrain, and, and uh, it's also reducing the battery size. It's always a, a, a sort of big trade-off with the motor design, where, and particularly in in passenger car, where the the motors tend to be quite oversized for sort of power. Um, so you end up with a lot of torque and, and fast acceleration, which is great. But um, the, under sort of normal driving, if you're not using that power and torque, actually the the very the, the light load efficiency of the system can be quite poor. Um, and I guess you're able to ad adapt to that. So you, you could um, change the machine characteristics to suit the driving conditions. 
Absolutely. So we're changing the machine characteristics while the machine is running. And, and that's, that's a big advantage to, to, to the system means that you can, you, so you need less active material to manufacture the machine itself as well. So we've got, um, shift maps in the software, which, which, which looks at your speed, your torque requirements, your current, your voltage, all, all the parameters are looked at. And because it's looking at these parameters and, and looking at the efficiency number, it decides, the software will decide which winding configuration is most efficient for that driving um, uh, speed and torque. Yeah, so, so we've done the simulations and it, it's amazing to see, you know, when, when it says that you need to shift from, from uh, say, parallel winding to series winding or its combinations. And, and normally what happens is, it tends to go into a parallel winding because that gives you uh, the most efficient combination because the resistance is very low. So your I squared R losses are very low, especially for high speeds. And it allows us to operate in, in a speed zone where we don't need field weakening. Normally, a standard electric machine will require deep field weakening if you want to go much faster in speed. And, and we don't need that because we reconfigure the windings in parallel at, at high speeds. Right. Okay. That, so that's really interesting. So, feel, you know, field weakening is a big um, issue or phenomena, not just because you're, you're effectively injecting current to knock back the, the rotor magnetic field, so it's costing you energy, but it also tends to make the rotor get hot. Absolutely. So, so that we don't need. So we don't need deep field weakening because we reconfigure the windings. So if you reconfigure the windings, means that technically you've reduced the number of turns, which means that the back EM required, you know, it drops. So at higher speeds, you, you can, you know, get, get your optimal performance. Uh, but normally what happens in a standard machine is as you're speeding up, your back EMF is close, coming close to your bus voltage. Uh, and and to to then back off, you have to apply this um, d-axis current to to you know weaken the weaken the magnetic field. Yeah. And and does that mean because um, one of the reasons people like um, or have sort of shifted to using the uh, interior permanent magnet type motors is that they they can um, you know, you, you, you've got the sort of permanent magnet field, but you've also got a reluctance um, torque as well, and you can sort of bring that in and out. Would that mean if you applied your technology, you could sort of extend the the, the sort of usefulness, if you like, of a, a surface permanent magnet machine to, to sort of get into that region? Or would you also apply your technology to an IPM machine as well? Is there a difference or...? Right. So we are applying the technology to both surface permanent magnet and the IPM machine. So it's very interesting to see how we can benefit the IPM machine as well, which most of the manufacturers are currently using. So not on, so the D-axis current, you know, if you apply a little amount of D-axis current, it does give you the reluctance torque. But to go deep into a high speed, you need that extra um, you know, feel weakening to, to be able to go uh, in, in, into the high-speed region. So we don't need that. So we can benefit from the reluctance torque and switch the windings 
um, and be able to go at high speed and maintain high, very high, extremely high efficiencies um, of over 98% uh, during the drive cycle of, of the um, vehicle. So really interesting, really interesting. There's, uh, I can think it's at times in the past, <laughs> been involved in um, sort of machine developments, um, particularly high kind of um, pole count machines as well, which um, you tend to have to back off from that. That's right. So it, it could allow us to have a high pole count machine as well. Um, not that we may require that, but that that's also possible, you know. Uh, and, and we are very fortunate to have won several grant awards, you know. So we, uh, which which allowed us to do a lot of experimental uh, programs. So we won Smart Award from the Welsh Government. We won the Innovate UK Award, uh, Carbon Trust Award, uh, and uh, also. Uh, we won some uh, Aerospace Technology Institute awards as well uh, to be able to help us do the research and development and get to the stage we want to, to get to so that we can, you know, uh, commer- commercialize the, these uh, projects into products. I've got some more questions on the, the sort of tech, technical aspects of it. I'm interested in how you do this, the switching of the the different windings. And if you end up then effectively with, because, you know, in, in a normal motor controller, you've got your, your bridge circuit. Um, we normally have, um, you know, three um, sets of, of switches, um, high side and low side. And, and that's sort of a standard, um, you know, four quadrant inverter. If you're then controlling multiple systems, do you do you kind of have the same inverter, but then with a secondary set of switches after it, or do you effectively have just more stages to the the bridge that you can run in sort of series or parallel with each other? Right. So we've got two two systems. One is where we are using a standard inverter, even though the inverter is done by us. Right. So it's just like a standard inverter. It's it's got uh, the standard IGBT modules, and it's connected to a separate switch matrix. And switch matrix is just an array of switches, um, and we plan to compress that size to a very small, compact, uh, you know, custom-designed switch matrix so that it becomes very small. So that can be mounted on an inverter as well, if you like. It can be part of the inverter or part of the electric machine. Uh, unless the inverter also becomes part of the electric machine because you want to keep the windings as short as possible. So if you keep the switch matrix separate, then the windings which come out of the machine of electric motor go straight into the switch matrix. And the link between the switch matrix and the inverter is just the three phases, right? So you just control the three phases normally through the inverter and when, when you actually switch, you already know because we've mapped out the complete machine before. It's, it's like a second or a third or a fourth motor. So it's like if, you, if you've got four combinations of winding, it's like four motor in one. <laughs> so you have to just change the characterization map that you're running at any one point in time in that. So the inverter already knows. So when the inverter is changing, say, from configuration A to B, it already knows that it's, it's going to go to B and it uses the B parameters as soon as it switches. And, and, and the, the switching can be as, as fast as, as in microseconds, right? So the switching is very fast. 
uh, and it changes, you know, it's, it's like operating a motor B rather than motor A, and then goes to motor C, and goes to motor E. Uh, and, and the parameters are already pre-fed in, into, into the machine and into the software, so, so it recognizes before it shifts that it, it's going to be that, those parameters, because it's important to know what machine you're running for the inverter all the time. Yeah, I guess... Um... And if you're doing it like that, you probably can manage the, the point at which you're switching so that you're not switching under full load and things like that as well. Correct. I mean, um, although we can, you know, uh, switch without any load, we are looking at uh, on-load switching as well, which is very interesting. So we are working in that field right now, uh, working with uh, semiconductor companies to ensure that, uh, you know, that is... Um, safe and and good to do so with, with, with high current flowing in it. So so it it is very exciting times. You know, it's very exciting times for us. We want to be the leaders in this, um, not only in in how you do the switching, but how you control it, how you maintain it, how you um, you know uh, service it later on, uh, how to ensure that the complete propulsion system is is you know fully aware of you know the aging process even and, and increase the the lifespan of not only the uh, motor and the inverter but also the battery how to manage the the current in the battery to reduce the current draw to keep it you know as as low as possible so you extend the life of the battery and and you know the driving range mm. And and um, <clears throat> I guess you you mentioned just now um, in sort of passing you've you've had some grants um, and you've done some some work and it's, you you mentioned the ATI which um, the Aerospace Technology Institute so uh, you know obviously a pretty good indicator that you see the applications for this uh, beyond just the automotive world and in other fields as well. Correct. That's absolutely right. And uh, we are very excited that, you know, we uh, are thinking beyond just the EV, but into the aerospace sector and how we can electrify uh, the aerospace sector. Because as you know, you know, there's a big drive towards uh, zero carbon emissions by 2050. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the aeroplanes also have to uh, help towards that. And we see that the technologies can be applied to the aerospace, how to design bigger machines. By bigger, I mean bigger power capacity, say up to a megawatt, uh, a megawatt and a half, but um, keeping the size down. So traditionally, the um, kilowatts per kilogram, the specific power density is hovering around, I would say, 10 kilowatts per kilogram to say, you know, some claim they've got as high as 15 kilowatt per kilogram. But our target is to increase that to at least 25 kilowatts per kilogram. And that's a huge jump. Um, and and, and to, to be able to look at such uh, increase in power density, we have to look at the material science. We must understand the material, not only by using more material, but how to... Uh, improve the performance of the material to work with suppliers 
and you know um, increase increase the capability of the active material so that the machine gets smaller, we use less material and still yet give high high power density. And is there a particular thing that, you know, like would you say this is your um your dynamic torque switching uh, technology is, is particularly suited to like high speed machines or low speed machines, or is there a particular like area that you feel that it, it really brings the biggest advantage? Right. So the biggest advantage comes uh, when you are actually moving from uh, a low speed machine to a high speed. So if you've got a, a varied speed range, that's where it benefits because uh, you know, you can have fixed winding, which is good for a small speed range where it will give you optimum efficiency. But if you, if you need low speed and if you need medium and high speed, that is where EDT is beneficial because it switches between the windings. It gives you good performance, extremely good performance at medium speed, extremely good at low speed and, and uh, you know, uh, super performance at high speed. So it, it literally broadens the uh, constant power range of an electric machine and the efficient, high efficiency zones throughout the drive cycle or throughout the efficiency map of, of the of the machine. Okay, I see. Uh, so 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 then, because I mean, the big trend in automotive um, over the last couple of years has been moving from. Uh, lower speed motors, so typically up to 8,000-ish RPM um, on the sort of first generation EVs to higher speed motors, typically around 20,000 RPM on, on newer machines. And that, the OEMs have been doing that, so vehicle manufacturers are doing that to basically use smaller motors um, so they can spin it faster, they get the same power, um, but then they, they have a very big reduction ratio in the gearbox. However, the machine designed for that to have enough torque at low, you know, it's, it's, that must be playing right into your kind of um, space that, that move to this much broader speed range. Absolutely. It, it, it is playing in our hands. Uh, and, you know, the manufacturers are looking for gearboxes, which, which can give them an advantage. But we think that this EDTS technology is, is giving us such superior performance. And you don't need the, uh, you know, the gearbox itself anymore, right? So you get rid of the gearbox. Uh, the machine speeds, as, as you pointed out, they were 8,000, around 8,000. They went to like 15, 16, and now they're into 20,000. And actually, they're, they're like 28 to 30,000 approaching that kind of speeds. And if you have that kind of speeds, then you do need a gearbox to, of course, increase your torque. Like a single-speed uh, reduction gearbox, typically, though. Yeah, like single-speed. But if you go too high in speed and have a high reduction, then you are playing with efficiency there as well. Um, yeah. So you are compromising certain amount of efficiency. It's a good way to give a gearbox designer a, 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 at least a headache, if not a series of nightmares. You know, 30,000 RPM gearbox, please, sir, that's going to go in an automotive application. That's difficult, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, but but I think there are a couple of OEMs who are, who are you know, 21,000 RPM and at, uh, about 27,000 RPM already they're working on. So... If you're at that kind of speeds, then, you know, uh, a reduction gearbox, the efficiency becomes very important as well. 
But if you bring EDTS in it, then that helps um, reduce the reduction box um, size, you know, the ratio, um, yeah. and, and increase the efficiency that way. So um, we, are, we are doing some really great simulations to see where is the balance between the reduction, the EDTS, and the size of the machine and the speed of the machine to increase the overall efficiency of the drive cycle. That's the ultimate aim because increasing the overall size of the powertrain um, means that, you know, um, you're reducing the carbon emissions that much more. Yeah, interesting. And, um, I mean, it's it, th there's whole sort of issue in terms of, vehicle efficiency and range it's now a really important topic you know in in the past people didn't buy cars really i remember some research into this you know the efficiency of your car when it was a combustion engine was important somewhat but it wasn't one of the main purchasing decisions but with an ev you know the range is now one of the really really important and you know driving um, cycle range, but also real world range, like what people can achieve in practice. It's it's one of the major um, buying decision um, indicators for EV purchasing. So a lot of a lot of people focusing on efficiency and, and trying to extend it. Yeah, I, I would agree that a lot of people are uh, focusing on efficiency, um, uh, you know, and, and longer driving range, which is which is important to people. But without increasing, you know, the size of the battery pack, I mean, that's, that's, that's the challenge. And, and I believe with EDTS, we are up for that challenge, uh, where we believe we can increase the, the driving range. At this moment, we are saying it's, uh, at least 15%. But I believe, um, with new technologies, new materials coming up, we could, uh, push it as much as 20 to 30% improvement. In driving range, you know, um, and it's all about how to achieve this with, with the least amount of, um, you know, essential materials used, because if, if the world is going toward an electrification, everyone will need electric motors, um, and everyone will need, you know, the, 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 the bits which make up the motors, which is the, the magnets. If you've got a permanent magnet machine, uh, you need the electrical steel, even if you have uh, magnet-less machines, they need electrical steel. They need the windings, whether it be aluminum or copper. Uh, and, and these are the, the bases which make up the motor. How to use these materials effectively so that there's enough to go around for the, for the whole world. And uh, so we've, I asked you before about um, permanent magnet technologies and you've talked about interior and surface permanent magnet machines uh, and how your tech works with that. But the other, the other sort of two, well, the, the, you know, one more common uh, type of machine out there is an induction motor. And then you've also got people doing developments on switch reluctance machines, which are, you know, magnet free, like, you know, just mentioned does, does your technology um, kind of have a have an interaction there as well? You know, we do well in in a way. We've looked at the induction motor and we've looked at efficiencies inside an electric, uh, you know, uh, induction motor. And people are, are playing with that technology. Not only that, but also wound rotors, where where you've got copper winding uh, on on rotors itself. Um, so. 
it all comes down to efficiency and the material usage. So if you, you know, with, with our EDTS technology, what we are doing is we are using permanent magnets, but reducing the amount of permanent magnet we are using. So the quantity of magnet is going down. In a switch reluctance machine, you don't have magnets, but the size will be always bigger. And, and it will always fight with that efficiency. So it comes down to, you know, uh, not just the magnet, but electrical steel and the wire or winding we are using, be it copper or aluminium. So it's how much of this active material we are using, you know. They all use active material. Um, one uses permanent magnet, the other doesn't. But reduction of magnets and improvement of uh, efficiency is key. Um, and, and I think... Um, inherently switch reluctance machines, uh, you know, are, are getting there, but they've got other other issues like uh, torque ripple, uh, noise, etc. So people are improving all that. But it also comes down to how much electrical steel you're using as well, not not just magnets. And, and um, in induction machine, of course, you've got uh, copper bars or aluminum bars inside it, so that's also using, you know, quite a lot. And the efficiency is not as good as a permanent magnet machine. And I, I was just wondering if, if because um, obviously the, the thing about those two, uh, well, three technologies actually, because wound rotor is similar in that you can, you've got another variable in that you can play around with the rotor magnetic field strength now in terms of on that cycle. So if I could change the winding configuration and also, does that just make it too complicated? <laughs> or is that... It, it all comes down to the control strategy, and it it, it it is also, you know, the manufacturing cost. So how to make it a viable product? I mean, there's no point designing something which you can't manufacture and sell. Um, so um, we believe that wound rotor will uh, help with that, but at the end of the day, um, that also comes at the cost of efficiency. If you've got a wound rotor, you've got losses there as well because you've got windings and it's got I squared R losses. So you have to live with that. Uh, there's a balance between what materials you can use and what's the most efficient way you can actually put them together with, uh, you know, least amount of uh, disruption uh, and also, you know, how you mine them and all that stuff, how to, uh, how to care about the environment. At the end of the day, the main driving factor is reduction of carbon emissions. So if your mining process is, is you know, uh, not supporting that, then we have to look at that and, and see how we can help support the overall equation of carbon reduction, uh, increasing efficiency, and, and reducing cost of the, of the powertrain, be it in uh, aerospace or automotive or, you know, in the marine applications. Yeah. Well, so my next question was going to be, is there a particular application that you are most excited about, you know, where you see um, early adoption potentially for your sorts of technology? Where, where do you see you going first? So, so the early adoption will be in the EV market, and I'm really excited about that. Um, we are very close to bringing the product to market and we are working with major OEMs to 
to work with them to show the benefits of this technology. So I would say the automotive market is the first market. But, uh, you know, I'm very excited about the aerospace market as well, because I think we can make a big difference in the aerospace market um, and and bring the technology in, in that field as well. And it's not just with one patent. Uh, it's It's with several different patents, which, you know, we are working on we believe will will um, you know help in reduce carbon emissions and reduce the materials which we are using for all applications one of the main things today you know you you've been involved in the field um a, a long time uh, since at least 98 if um, and, and before with your phd's and studies and things but um you know there aren't that many people with the sort of experience that you guys have got um, about in the world at the moment, you know, and as, as uh, so just even without patents, the sort of know-how of how to develop more efficient um, powertrain systems is, is very important. I think it's very important as I was very fortunate to start working with electric machines, you know, um, at the turn of the century. Uh, and <laughs> Can I don't say that. That sounds like it. But, but yeah, you know, I started looking at electric machines, I would say, seriously from 1999. God, the turn of the... That sounds... That, uh, that's, no, you've, you've given me a headache now at the turn of the century. Oh, my God. Yes, it's technically correct, but it just sounds such a long time ago. <laughs> Yeah, but but I was fortunate uh, enough to work in this field right from the beginning where uh, I had um, external company, aerospace company approach me and say, they've got a challenge, they've got an issue, they've got a problem, can, can I solve it? And the answer was yes. And uh, it took some convincing to convince them that, you know, give us the program, and they did, and we delivered. So, so that led us to really believe in ourselves because you must believe in yourself that you can actually achieve these things. Uh, and the experience we've gained over the last 20 years has been amazing, you know, working with different OEMs, working on different uh, electric machine programs. And, and, and one of the, you know, uh, I was lucky enough to work with uh, European Electrical Steel who make these electrical steels. Um, what are the challenges in making these electrical steels? How to improve the performance of these electrical steels? So all that has been, you know, part of the experience. Not only that, working with uh, permanent magnet um, suppliers and manufacturers, how to improve uh, uh, the, the the strength of, of the permanent magnet. So, uh, you know, we've had some exciting times working um, alongside these companies um, help improve the materials uh, and giving us that experience which we've got today. And for that reason, you know, we believe that we are leaders in magnetic engineering, uh, not only just for a few people, but we are teaching all the upcoming engineers about this and, and for them to learn uh, and appreciate, you know, what, what this this is all about for the possible future. You mentioned, so... Maybe I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but um, you sort of made an interesting point about, you know, you've worked closely in the past with um, magnetic steel suppliers and permanent magnet suppliers. Do you see a problem um, in that, in, in sort of the UK and Europe um, and the US actually as well, we've not really invested um, properly in the sort of underpinning 
um, technology like uh, like the steel, like the uh, permanent magnets. And we've kind of just, oh, you know, dirty commodity and, and we've sort of let Asia kind of take the lead on that. Do you see that as a problem for us moving forwards? Um, or do you think that it's coming, it's coming back? Uh, I think that, you know, it's unfortunate that we closed the mothball, some of the facilities, but I believe this is the right time to get in it. I think I'll, I'll be so happy if, if people invest in uh, the steel industry, especially in the UK and, and you know, um, in, even in US and Europe, uh, because this is coming big time in the sense that if everyone needs electric machines, we need to invest in, in, the, in, in the elements or materials which actually produce them. And although I've seen a decline, I think this is the right time to get in it. Um, uh, I believe that there are materials in the Far East, but they are not as good as what we can do in Europe and US. Um, and, and in fact, and in fact, J Japan as well is, is part of the material supplier. And most of the material which is coming, uh, is, uh, produced in Europe, you know. Uh, India is coming up as well, but I believe that UK especially should play a bigger role in, in, in this uh, active material area. I, I believe, I, I, yeah, it, it, it's the key. It's absolutely the key, and we should get in it now. Yeah, we, having been at the forefront um, of, of, sort of steel manufacture historically, um, you know, right back to the uh, industrial revolution. And, uh, I saw someone post a picture the other day and it was of, a uh, I can't remember where it was, but somewhere in the UK, which was the first, um, sort of industrial steel mill to use, uh, coal in the process of making steel instead of charcoal. And, um, and, you know, and obviously there's a sort of negative story there in terms of this is the, the beginning of, uh, climate change and all the rest of it. But the positive story of that is actually that, you know, the steel industry did start in the UK, basically, um, in a sort of proper industrial production, um, beyond using, um, using charcoal. So you do, you need carbon in steel, um, but, uh, it, it's, it's, you know, moving forwards, interesting things happening with, uh, low carbon steel production and, and, and stuff like that. And, and I just wanted to make another point is that it's, it's about production, but it's also about recyclability, you know, about sustainability. It's important that we are able to recycle all the machines coming offline. So this is the time to think about recycling as well. How can we recycle? How can we best use, um, you know, these materials again and again? It is one of the things that I absolutely love about electric motors. Um, and, you know, in, in my youth, I was definitely, I loved engines as well. And I worked on a lot of engines and stuff. But as an engine gets old, you know, the components wear out and it gets to a point where actually it's impossible to refurbish it. And relatively, you know, compared to an electric motor, electric motors are great because you can refurbish them quite easily normally. Um, they don't need any any mechanical attention really for many, many, many years. And you've got in, in kind of rail and Marine, you've got motors out there that are still reliably delivering service that haven't been touched for 30 years or, or more. Um, but then it's possible to, to kind of, um, 
quite easily refurbish them. And, um, you know, that's really exciting part of, um, the EV future for me that, um, you know, the, the, when you look at a a diesel engine or a petrol engine, as it, as it gets older, the emissions go up, it gets harder to control, start burning, uh, oil, uh, you know, lubricant oil because of, you know, seals and things wearing out, but with an EV, it just, you know, it just keeps on working until one day it doesn't. Um, (laughs) but then you can refurbish it. Um, you know, there's no more emissions from it as it's degrading. Uh, maybe it might get a bit noisier. That's the bearings kind of wearing out. But uh, yeah, no. As in terms of like that recycling element of the economy, it does seem it, it's quite an exciting part of it for me. Um, and I love I love seeing um, old electric motors that have been uh, kind of cleaned up and refurbished and brought back to life. You know, it's great. Yeah, so I think that industry will grow as well, refurbishing electric machines. I mean, there, there has been the, this industry has existed for decades, and I think it's only going to grow uh, where you can re- refurbish. So mainly you, you know, you need to probably change the bearings, but the windings as well. You may need to change the windings, especially um, as the voltage rating of machines is going higher. So we've had 400 volt machines going to 800 volt machines going to thousand and beyond. So that's where, you know, we have to start looking at, you know, what parts actually need refurbishing with increasing voltage. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's an industry which can flourish and, and recycling will become hopefully a big part of it in the future. Yeah. So, so just, um, we're about out of time, um, but just if if we could just kind of wrap up with your thoughts on the future and, you know, in terms of your your business and, and your activities, what are you most excited about that's um, coming down the line for you over the next year or two? So uh, the trend, I mean, the, this world is going electric. I mean, we know that. We, we are seeing that on a daily basis uh, in the news. So electric machines uh, are here to stay big time. There are many different kinds. Um, the, you know, so which type will lead, uh, that has yet to be seen. But there will be, in my view, several different electric machines types. So there, there'll be permanent magnet machines always. There'll be switch reluctance, even induction machines. But because of material science, the efficiency will improve uh, more and more. Um, you know, sectors will start using electric motors, which are not just fixed speed, but variable speed, because variable speed gives a lot of advantages, especially in the pumps and fan sector where a tube law comes into effect. So if you drive a pump or a fan 20% less in speed, you save 50% of the electric. So the consumption drops by half. So especially in the, um, you know, uh, sector such as pumps and fans, a lot of energy can be saved. You know, uh, nearly half of the electricity used in the world is spent on running these electric motors. So if you reduce the speed a little bit, you'll save a lot of electricity. Um, so that's where I see in HVAC, in industrial variable speed drive. So everything will become variable speed drive. That's where I see the trend going other than complete industries changing like like um, uh, the, the automotive market it'll become completely electric the aviation the aerospace it it will be 
you know, it, it is changing to full electric. Uh, and I believe that is possible. And, and other marine is changing electric, uh, railway is changing electric. So that's why I see it's heading. As far as the company is concerned, as I said, you know, uh, e-propelled is about technology. It's about reducing energy consumption. It's about improving the efficiency and lowering the costs uh, in all these sectors. And um, as, as I said, you know, we've got brilliant engineers. We want to train new upcoming bright engineers in this field because this is this is the growing sector. And and my favorite uh, at this moment is bringing. EDTS technology in the automotive sector and to push the boundaries in the aerospace sector where we plan to have propulsion motors running um, as, as fast as 100,000 RPM. Wow. 100,000 yeah. RPM? 100,000 RPM. 100,000 RPM is not, uh, you know, it's not unique. Dyson vacuum cleaner territory. <laughs> Yes, I mean vacuum cleaners. People are attempting 150,000 RPM. If you look at the, if you go to the dentist, his tool is operating up to 200,000 RPM. Proper turbo machinery territory. Turbo, yeah, and even the, you know, the um, turbines, the electro turbines generator we are using in cars, they're going over 100, 150,000 RPM in, in, the, you know, in, in a second, they're up to that speed. So 100,000. It is a target we we want to keep for the aerospace sector, and I believe we can, uh, you know, reduce the size of big machines like you know a megawatt, a megawatt and a half machine down dramatically. And and of course, uh, with machines, the cooling is an important aspect, and we are breaking uh, grounds in the cooling of electric machine as well, because machines do generate heat. How to cool it? How to recover the energy? And all that helps reduce carbon emissions. Thank you so much for taking the time out uh, to talk to me today. It's been a, a real pleasure. I hope uh, all the listeners have enjoyed that. I've, I've certainly learned a lot about what you guys are, are up to. And uh, it's, it's a technology I hope to see in the market making a real difference. So uh, thank you. Great. Thank you, Ryan, for this opportunity and uh, hope to speak to you soon.